Hey, we are closing up our series, Summertime Blues. We are on part four. Uh, next week, we're starting a new series, Don't Be a Snob. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of James and how to treat one another. And what a timely message, especially now that's going on uh, in our society. And, um, you know, it's been a little ironic, as I have been a little discouraged lately. And I'm preaching about discouragements. Uh, I came in here this morning, and I was just kind of looking over some of these prayers and um, you know, about 7.30 in the morning, and, and, I was, and I was reading some of the prayer requests, and uh, those, those of you that are new, what we've done is, and we started this in the new year, we have prayer requests on the sidewall, so if you have a prayer request, you write that on a green post-it note, and then if it's an answered prayer, you put it on a yellow. And uh, the cool thing is, I was, I, was, I was looking around, and I was seeing some of the green prayer requests, and then I was seeing a yellow prayer request right over it as well, how God, had, how, God had, how God has answered. And just some of the things that I saw was one of them was uh, diagnosed with cancer and a post-it note right over that that said, now cancer-free. There was one that said that son needed a job, and then he got a job. Uh, one was an airman that returned safely from deployment. One was, we have a house. Another one was, we had a baby. And another one was that said, said, got my mom to come to church. You know, I think sometimes we just really get discouraged in life. And, and uh, so I just encourage you to walk around this auditorium every once in a while and look at some of the yellow prayer requests. Because uh, God knows what we're going through. Uh, he's working behind the scenes, whether we realize it or not. And uh, let's not forget what he's doing. Amen. So if you're on social media, hashtag Summertime Blues. If you'd like the sermon notes, just send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeremy. I'm the campus pastor here at a Goldsboro location. We have another location in Princeton, which is 15 minutes away. Uh, they're having service right now. And then in less than 10 weeks, we launch our Mount Olive campus with Pastor Andrew. And uh, really excited about that. We also have an international campus as well in Halakte, Belize. And... Uh, and I'm not sure what the time difference is, but I know they've, they've, they're meeting some time today as well. So how do we win our battles with discouragements? Step one last week, we talked about allowing God to refresh you continually. <clears throat> now, uh, I was sharing how I've been exhausted, and July has been a very, very busy month, and I've been in several different states, and, and I'm ready for August to get here, so that's tomorrow, which is crazy. But um, so after the message last week, I, uh, you know, it's one thing to say that you're struggling and another thing to um, try to get some help and have some accountability. So I talked to some people last week about holding me accountable. And I asked them to, to get back with me, you know, uh, you know, in the middle of the week and let me know and just ask me how I was doing, making sure that I was getting to bed at a decent hour. And um, so I think, it was, uh, I think it was like Wednesday. I got a text message, and I don't even know if these two people know each other that asked to hold me accountable, but within 10 minutes, they both texted me around the same time on Wednesday, late afternoon, and they asked me, how are you doing, Pastor? And uh, that just kind of showed me that, that they care about me, and, and so I've been doing good, good this week as far as rest, and been getting a good seven, hour, seven to eight hours uh, of sleep, and if you have kids, that's good. That's good if you get seven, eight hours of sleep. And uh, so, I, so I'm feeling refreshed uh, in that area. 
But step two and step three is what we're talking about today. And that can be found in Nehemiah. And we're going back to Nehemiah where we started this series. Nehemiah took actions that motivated the people of God and led to victory over the enemy. Now, through Nehemiah's example, we learn what we need to do to prevent discouragements, and we learn what actions we need to take when discouragement comes. So there needs to be prevention, like kind of like taking your vitamins, you know, and uh, what are you doing, what do you, what do you have in place so discouragement doesn't creep in. But then we need actions when discouragement does happen, and what do we need to do? Kind of like medication, all right? Nehemiah 4.14 in the New Living Translations says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Now, I guarantee you, if you haven't set time aside this past week to spend with the Lord you are focusing more on your problem than your provider if you haven't set time. And because I know, you know why I can say that? Because it happens to me as well. If I am not, if, you know, if I go like a week or so without really having a good, quiet time with the Lord, I guarantee you, man, I'm focusing on all the negativity that surrounds me. And, uh, and so this week, just cut out, carve out some time to spend with the Lord. And whatever you are facing, the Lord is bigger. So step two, climb out of the rut you're in. Climb out of the rut you're in. In the words of the great theologian James Brown, you got to get on up. Now, Mr. Brown had some moves on him. If I tried to do this on the stage right now, I'd probably pull a hammy. But uh, but you got to get on up. You got to get on up. Last week, We said when discouragement is winning, your first step is to check the health of your relationship with God. So where are you in your relationship with Jesus? The next step is to admit that something has to change. So you got to get on up out of the route you're in and set a new direction. Don't give up, change up. What you've been doing obviously isn't working, so you have to rearrange your life. You have to rearrange your life. In Nehemiah, the people got discouraged. They were not just frustrated, they were tired and afraid. And the enemy had promised to kill them. All right, so I don't think anyone has that problem right now. Hopefully you don't. You know that you're getting like death threats. But this is what was happening to God's people. So Nehemiah recognized what's going on and exercises his leadership saying, okay, we're going to change the way we're building the wall. We're going to lighten the load by working together in smaller groups. All right, because they, they're in captivity and, and they're back now and they're trying to re- rebuild the wall. And you're saying, why is the wall so important? Having a wall back then was like having a front door on your house. How, how many of you, if you had no front door and anyone could just walk in and out throughout the night, would that freak you out just a little bit? All right, That's kind of what having a wall back then was. And if you didn't have a wall, it was a sign of weakness. 
So he's saying, we're going to change the way we're building the wall. We're going we're gonna to lighten the load by working together in small groups. Families will work together with their neighbors to build a part of the wall behind their homes. The next group of families and neighbors will build the wall behind their home. Then we'll get all attached together. He said, half of you will stand guard with spears and swords to protect the workers from the enemy. Be on guard. The other half of your group will be working on the wall. Then we'll switch, and those of you who are working on the wall will stand guard and protect the people. And the others will work. We'll just keep changing it up. <clears throat> Nehemiah 4.13 says, So I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places at the open positions where it was least protected. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. So what's the application for your life today? Sometimes when you get discouraged, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the wrong thing. It could mean you're doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. When you get discouraged, it doesn't mean give up on the project, the marriage, the ministry, the dream. It just means try a different way, different way reorganize, hit it from a different angle. Now, churches can often be the worst at changing. Grocery stores change. I know that. My dad owned a grocery store growing up before all the big chains came around. Retail stores change. Huge corporations change. But the church is one of the last organizations to change. Now, I'm a late 70s, early 80s kid, and I want to ask any of you, do you drive the same car you did back that you, when you were in, in, in the late 70s, early 80s? Some of you may say yes. Hey, that's cool. You must be following Dave Ramsey. Run that thing in the ground. I want to show you a car in the late 70s, early 80s. That was very popular. This is the Chevy Caprice Classic. Look at that boat, baby. <clears throat> now, these wagons back in the day had seats in the back that were rear-facing. And you could get anywhere from three to five kids in there, depending on their size. And there was kind of a... Uh, you know, where you put your feet in, kind of like it was almost like touching the ground. It was so low. And uh, it was kind of like a little playground area back there. And that's when you didn't have to wear seat belts. You know, like kids in the late 70s, early days, I don't know how we survived back then. All right. And um, I don't know who designed this car saying, let's put a seat in the back, rear facing. So when the wagon is in a accident from the rear, the kids take the brunt of the hits. <laughs> Who was that genius? <clears throat> Do you use the same cell phone that you did, maybe, that you had in the 80s? Let me show you a picture of a cell phone. Now, that looks like a briefcase. It's actually a bag phone. And I remember my parents had one of these. 
but you were not allowed to use it because it was a dollar fifty minutes. So it was for emergencies only. So I remember driving in my dad's Oldsmobile and pretended like I was talking on the phone as I was driving. And all the people were like, dude, look at that guy. He's talking on the phone in the car. No, no one has a bag phone anymore, all right? And if you did, I mean, I, I guess that would be, you know, I guess retro, I guess. But, uh, but that's probably mostly in a garage sale. LifeWay research showed in 2014 that 3,700 churches in one year, 3,700 churches closed their doors. But more than 4,000 new churches opened up their doors that year as well. On average, 42% of those worshiping at churches launched since 2008 previously never attended church or hadn't attended in many years. So that tells me churches that do not change in this decade, there's probably going to be more churches closed in this next decade than ever before because churches refuse to change. And that's okay. You're saying, wow, it's never a good thing for churches to close. You know what? There's some churches that need to close. All right? So there's some other churches. The back row, back row is with me. The front row is not so sure about that. <laughs> not sure if I'm supposed to clap on that one. <clears throat> you know what? Man, there's, there's new churches that are they're taking over old dying churches, and they're having an impact. They're having an impact. And, and I tell you what, man, I am so glad that I'm part of a church that's not afraid to change. Here at the bridge, we've attempted many different programs, ideas, and ministries as we work to be as effective as possible reaching people for Christ. Some of the things we've tried haven't worked. They haven't worked. And some of them have been my idea. I'll even admit that. But I'm thankful that the bridge is not afraid to try new things and we're not afraid to fail. Do you know a couple years ago, we did not have a Sunday service here at the Goldsboro location. And we decided to go for it. And I'm glad we did, because look at it right now. I'm thankful that the bridge is not afraid to try new things. We're not afraid to fail. Failure is not a big deal. The fear of failure is much worse than failure itself. The difference between people who are successful and people who are failures is not the rate of failure. Fact is, successful people fail just as much or more than failures do. A failure is not a person who doesn't always succeed. A failure is the person who quits and gives up. Failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. And I failed at a lot of things in my 38 years. But I've also, God has helped me succeed in a lot of things as well. Successful people view failure as a life lesson. They learn the hard lessons, pick themselves up, and persevere. If you're deeply in debt, you reorganize your budget. If your marriage isn't working, you reorganize your relationship. If you're out of shape, you reorganize your lifestyle. And you start exercising and, and, and eating better as well. 
If you're overcommitted, you reorganize your priorities and you learn to say no. Listen, man, I had someone uh, come to me a while back and said, man, I want to have lunch with you, um, you know, every couple weeks. And I said, man, I really appreciate that, but, uh, uh, but I can't do it. I can't meet with you every other week for lunch. I don't even do that with my wife. And this dude was mad. This dude was mad that I said no. You know what? It's okay to say no sometimes, even to good things, and tick people off. Because I would rather have an acquaintance be mad at me than someone I really care about. And sometimes some of you are putting acquaintances ahead of your spouse. Some of you are putting acquaintances ahead of your family. And that's not good. And someone's paying the price, and it's probably the people that care about you the most. So you have to learn to say no to even good things. Nehemiah changed things up and reorganized them by groups this time. This is one of the keys to overcoming discouragement. You need to do life with other people. You weren't meant to go through life by yourself. And isolation will make you vulnerable to the enemy. Now, I understand some of you aren't, you know, real, you know, you know, not real a people person. And, and you know, you need, you need your time, you know, alone. I understand that, man. But some of you isolate yourself so much and isolate yourself from Christian community that you're so discouraged you don't even know it because you've just isolated yourself. I can't tell you how many times my wife, family, and close friends have helped me overcome discouragement. Just yesterday, I'm working on this message on discouragement, and I was discouraged. And my wife heard the message on Thursday, and she said, you got to fight through this. you got to fight through this. And I, and I love her, man, and I love the encouragement that she brings to me in my life, in my ministry. But we lift each other up. We encourage each other. we got to help each other overcome fatigue, failure, frustration, and fear. And you can't do that if you're isolating yourself. Listen, man, I know that you've been hurt. We've all been hurt. But as long as you continue to isolate yourself and you let fatigue, failure, frustration, and fear, in a sense, be your God, because that's what you think about all the time, then nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the phrase one another? I don't either but I'm sure it's a lot. Google it. But throughout Scripture, man, it talks about one another, one another, one another. And God realizes the importance of us being in Christian community. So get on up out of that rut, reorganize your life, change your approach, stop living in isolation, do life with other believers. So one, allow God to refresh you, Two, climb out of your rut. And three, declare war. 
declare war. I love that song we sing that we just sang this morning with everything. And I love that chorus part where we just kind of like chant. And man, it just kind of, every time I sing that song, it just, like I hear, I hear your voices in the back, and then I hear my voice, and it's like, it's just like, we're like declaring war together. And I watched a video uh, from Hillsong, Hillsong United with that song this morning, and it was, it was like a, it was like an arena with over like 20,000 people, and they were chanting that, man, it just brought me chills. It just brought me chills, and, and uh, life's hard, man, you know, during the week is tough, but when I come here on, on a Sunday morning and I get to be with all of you, there's just something special about being with my church family. Something encouraging that happens. We have a tendency to be discouraged easily, and you may be a person that, you know, that you just get discouraged with a lot of things. And, and that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, because I think sometimes that can mean that you just, you're a very caring person. And you really, you really love people. And so, so when something happens, you, you, you get discouraged. And, and, and that's not a bad thing. That, you know, that, man, you, if you have, maybe have a gift of mercy, you know, does some of you have a gift of mercy? Uh, some of you are saying yes, and your spouse is saying no, you don't. Uh, but do you feel for people? You know, when someone is hurting, do you hurt? Do you have that empathy for them? And it's, it's like you can feel what they're feeling. And, 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 and maybe you get, you know, get, you, you get discouraged. And, and, and that's not a bad thing, but you can't let discouragement run your life is, is what I'm trying to say. In Nehemiah 4.14, it says, When I saw their fear, I stood and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome with courage from him. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and for your homes. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Man, how many times do we forget how great and how awesome God is? Listen, he is going to reveal himself just how great and how awesome he is for all eternity. Our minds will be blown for all eternity for those that believed in Jesus and that will be with him forever and ever. That's an awesome thing to think about. Nehemiah says, don't give in without a fight. We're not just going to roll over and play dead. We're not going to settle for building the wall halfway and leave it for some other generation. No, we're going to fight this discouragement and we're going to rebuild this wall as God told us to. So how do, you, how do you declare war? You got to pray, man. You got to pray. You got to read. You got to read scripture. You know, read your daily devotionals and, 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 and get plugged in. You got to fast. Man, how long has it been since some of us fasted? And, and I'm telling you what, nothing will get your attention more than food. If you fast food, you're going to get, listen, you're going to get hangry. You're going to get hangry a little bit. But... It's so important, and, and I encourage you to just maybe, maybe in August, just take one, one meal a week and just fast and just spend time with the Lord and, and go for a walk. Listen to some worship music. Just say, God, I'm going to take these, these 30 minutes or I'm going to take this hour, and I'm just going to spend some time with you. 
because things are getting serious all around me or my situation, and we just, we just need, we just need to, get, to get together and spend some time. You need to be committed to a Christian community. And I'm not talking just about coming to service. Listen, some of you have been coming to service for a couple years, and it's time to get in the game. It's time to get off the bleachers and get committed because you're not committed if you're just coming. God has given you gifts that he wants to use to bless this church and to bless people. And it's time. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're in a spiritual battle. And the moment you decide to do something with your life, all hell breaks loose. The moment you decide that you're going to live righteously and that you want to make a difference for God, you're going to get immediate pushback from many directions, even family. I remember when I have taken a stand on some things and the backlash I got, man. I knew that what I was standing up for was right, and, and I was getting phone calls and, and nasty messages, and, and I knew it, man. I knew, God, you want me to do this, and you want me to take a stand. And I remember my wife saying, you got to do that. you got to do that. And you know what? Just because it's hard doesn't mean God doesn't want you to stop fighting. Just because it's hard. In fact, oftentimes, because it's hard is a sign that you're doing the right thing. You know, make sure that you're, that you're obeying Scripture and that you have wise counsel in your life. But if, you, if you're doing those things and it's hard... It's often a sign that you're on the right path. Listen, this Christian life is not easy. It is not easy. When you are going against the, the, the current, when all the world is telling you to do this and you're doing this, that's not easy. And you can't do it on your own strength. The enemy is always saying, you're no good. You're not worth anything. You can't do it. You may as well just give up. Who do you think you are to do something like that? Satan is always the one who makes fun of you, who belittles you, and tries to turn you into a coward. He wants to destroy your effectiveness. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy everything that's precious to you. You have to declare war on discouragement. We're at war with negative forces. There's negativity all around you, isn't there? The world is not exactly a positive place. Some of you are addicted to the news, and you need to get off. It's like, I just can't get enough. Jeez, man, this stuff will beat you down. Get on Right Now Media. It's a service that we provide for everyone that attends the bridge. And we spend over $5,000 a year for you to have access to Right Now Media. It's the Netflix of Bible studies. And there are thousands and thousands of studies for, for kids and singles and married people and, and parents. And, and for, for anywhere, anywhere where you're at in, in, in life, there's a study for you. And if you don't, have not been on it, you don't have an account, just send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc and we will get you an account this week free, absolutely free. You know, this past week, this past Wednesday, we're making Wednesday nights. My wife and I are making kind of Wednesday night, kind of our study time together. 
And, uh, and we did a couple studies this past Wednesday and right now media. And, <clears throat> man, it, you know, you, you just get distracted, especially in the summertime. You know, everyone's all out of routine. And, and uh, so we're doing a study right now every Wednesday night. Uh, so if you call me on Wednesday night, I, I ain't answering. I ain't answering. Leave a message. If you don't leave a message, I ain't calling you back. You don't leave a message, not important enough to leave a message, not important for a return phone call. Amen? All right. Um, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Some of you don't even know how to resist the devil because you're walking with the devil. And how you're living. Listen, we are, to be, we, are, we are called to be salt and light. We are to look different than the world. Like, remember DC Talk back in the day? You know, Jesus freak, remember that? Like, man, I want to be a Jesus freak. I don't want to be like a weird Jesus freak, you know, because like that even kind of weirds God out. But like to just be different, to be different. There was a quote that came across this past week. It said, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. And if you look within you, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus Christ, you'll be at rest. I love the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Man, I tell you what, I, I, love, I love, you know, a lot of the new songs. But every once in a while, man, you just need a hymn. You need a hymn to remind you of how good God is and how much God has brought you through. Listen, man, I was a train wreck, train wreck 20 years ago. I was, I was messed up. And I, and I think about that. And, you know, I, I, was, I was looking at the lyrics last night, and I was even watching a video of it. You know, and I was watching the video of, uh, you know, the ladies singing on stage with big shoulder pad dresses and stuff on. Remember that? But it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace. Man, we need that. I, I need that today. I know some of you need that. All of you need it. It all depends on what you got your eyes on. If your eyes are always on your problems, your pressures, your conflicts, guess what? You're going to live a discouraged life. Plain and simple. Great people declare war against discouragement. Great people are just ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. Great people don't know how to quit. Now, I was the youngest of three, and uh, I was even small as a kid. I know that shocks you. I had an older brother that was four years older than I was, and my brother would beat the living tar out of me growing up. I could probably take him now, maybe. But he would, I mean, we, we'd just be playing sports, you know, and he would just knock me down and, and whatever it was. <clears throat> and I would go in the house, and I would cry to my mom and dad. And they'd say, George, quit being so rough on him. And uh, guess what I would do? Go back out again. And he'd knock me down. And I'd come back in. And I'd cry to my parents, and they really wouldn't say anything to me. I'd go back out again, 
get knocked down, come back in. And the third time, they'd just be like, Jeremy, why do you keep on going out and playing with your brother and you keep on getting hurt? Just stay in the house. I've always been that guy that just would not quit. And I still got that grit inside of me. I think sometimes us as Christians, we just need to have some grit. Just because you get knocked back down, get in there, and go to war again. And, and, you know, man, I'm all about, you know, manly stuff. It's been a while since I've, you know, watched a movie where stuff gets blown up. I need to do that, you know, every once in a while. You know, just kinda, it's kind of how, you know, we're, we're ingrained, you know. Dad, let's watch, let's watch something here this week. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> sometimes getting back up means just changing another poopy diaper when you don't want to change another one. Sometimes grits and getting back up, I'm trying to think of something creative, and I'm just not thinking anything right now, but it's a lot of simple things in life that are about getting back up and declaring more and having grits. And, and yes, there's going to be times where we're going we're gonna to do like, you know, something amazing, that God can want to do something amazing through us. But more times than not, it's the simple things. It's the everyday things that take a toll on you, and you just got to get back up, man, and keep on going, and keep doing it and doing it. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give in. There's going to be a time when you're going to say it was all worth it. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know if that's going to be a year from now. I don't know if that's going to be five years, ten years from now. But you're going to be so glad that you did not give up. You did not give up. Great people don't have giving in to the enemy as one of their options. They get fatigued, frustrated, fearful. They feel like a failure, but they put their faith in Christ and persevere. Question, what is unfinished in your life right now? What is it that you've started and along the way you got discouraged and you need to settle it today or this week or this year? What is it? What is that thing? What is that unfinished thing in your life that you need to do? What is that thing in your life that keeps you up at nights because you can't stop thinking about it? Jeremiah 8.20 says, The harvest is in, the summer is over, and you are not saved. That's a good verse for the end of July. We're headed into August. Summertime is almost over. Are you saved? Have you ever opened your life to Christ? What are you waiting for? You need to finish the job. You need to step across the finish line. Quit putting it off to get right with the Lord. You say, man, there's some things in my life first that I need to get right with the Lord. Listen, man, you can't get right in those things unless you get right with the Lord first. You can't do it. You're putting the cart before the horse, and you're not going to go anywhere. What is your next step toward God? Is it to surrender your life to Christ? 
Is it to get baptized in September? Have you gotten into a life group? Are you serving? Are you one of our, one of our ministry teams making a difference? Take a test drive on the lobby. You can do that anytime, anytime that you come, you can take a test drive. Have you become an owner yet? You're just kind of going through the motions but not really owning it here at the bridge? Want to know that, that our next ownership class is Wednesday, August 17th. Wednesday, August 17th, 7 p.m. at our Princeton campus. It's a one-hour class. We, and we got childcare for you. Come to ownership, and I'll be teaching it. Little plug, little plug. There's a biblical illustration I want to share. At times, the enemy would wait for people to do all the hard work, taking care of the crops, and when the harvest came, they would attack. So they would kind of like peek over the mountains and, and look to see, hey, have the crops come in yet? And then once they would come in, they would, they would gather all the troops and they would attack. And that way when they attacked, the, the, the harvest was right there. I mean, how would that make you feel? If you, I don't know how many gardeners in here, man, we, like we kill everything in our house. So unless it's plastic, it ain't going to survive. But how would you feel if you're very, listen, man, there's like, there's no Walmarts back in the day, you know? There's no grocery stores. Whatever grew is what was for dinner. So how would you feel if you worked and you worked, and, and then all of a sudden the crops came, and all of a sudden you saw your enemy in a distance coming? Would that not tick you off? There's a man named Shama. And it says the Philistines attacked the people of God. And all the people ran away except one man named Shama. And you can find that in, in the scriptures. It says that he took his stand in a field of lentils and won a great victory. So here he is. All the Israelites are, are there in the field. And, and all of a sudden the enemy comes. The Philistines come. And we, we know about the Philistines and remember the battle of David and, and all that. And they were bad dudes. And they come and, and all the Israelites ran away. But Shammah stood his ground. He said, I'm not going anywhere. And we're going to fight. And it's on. And it says that he won a great victory. The Lord won a great victory through him. What is your situation right now? That's gotten too hard, and you see the enemy, and you want to run away. How about instead of running away, how about instead of running away from your marriage, how about instead of running away from your family, how about instead of running away from your difficult situation that you're facing, you stand your ground and you fight? What if you do that? What if you do that? And that's what leaving a legacy is all about. And I don't care if you're 30 years old or 60 years old, your legacy has already started. Stand and fight. Stand and fight. Man, I just like picture Braveheart, man. I picture, you know, Shama with some, you know, just put some war paint on and, and going to town and going off on people. We're closing up here, but I wanted to just share this about this story. <clears throat> 13 years ago, I pastored my first church, 
in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's a beautiful area. And yes, that's still in the United States for many of you. And I was, I was 24 years old. And um, just about ready to turn 25. And I was pastoring this church, and I was, it was a church of, you know, about 50, 60 people. And I was just supposed to be the summer interim pastor, all right, because they hadn't had a pastor in a few years. And, and so they were trying to get, like, some seminary students to come just for the summer and, and pastor it. And, and uh, so I was pastoring it for a few months. And there was uh, one of the elders. There's, there's two elders. One of the elders' name is Mark Stansel. And I remember it was, uh, it was after a potluck. Remember back in the day in potlucks? Man, glory, we need to bring those back. So we were having a, <laughs> one person excited about that. <clears throat> and I remember we was after a potluck, and we were talking, and, and, uh, and, and Mark said to me, he said, um, man, we'd, we'd love for you to stay. You know, we, 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 we don't want you to go. We want you to be our pastor for good. And I was really touched by that. And uh, so that kind of started just some conversations. And uh, I uh, eventually got voted in. I think there's two people that didn't vote for me. And God does that just to keep you humble. And uh, so I was, I was the pastor of this small church uh, for a few years. And Mark Stansel, that elder, Oh, the church there just passed away this past week from cancer. And um, his son and his daughter-in-law, my wife Sabrina and I are best friends with them. And, and actually, um, Mark's daughter-in-law, Shauna, is, is Sabrina's best friend. And so we've, uh, this, this family is very special to us. But, but Mark Stansel leaves behind a wife of over 40, 40 years, being married to her for 40 years, he, he leaves behind uh, three, three children and over, over ten grandchildren. And Mark died of, died of cancer. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he, he fell, and they took him to the hospital. And they discovered that he had cancer all throughout his body and, and over his brain. And... Uh, this past week, they took him to hospice, and he passed away there with, with his family around his bedside. And, and I've just been looking over at the posts the last few days about Mark and his life. I think about how he believed in me 13 years ago when I had no clue what I'm doing, and oftentimes I still feel that way. Um. You know what, but this wasn't Mark's first battle with cancer. He had battled cancer off and on for the last decade. I, I, I can't think of anything more discouraging than that. To go through cancer, to fight it, and think you're okay, and then to get cancer again, and then to get cancer again, and it eventually take your life. You know, Mark had discouragement in his life. 
And when discouragement comes in your life, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it is cancer or maybe it's something else. When discouragement comes, when discouragement arises in your life, don't let it stop you from living and don't let it stop you from loving. Because you're going to have discouragement. But don't let it stop you from living and don't let it stop you from loving. And Mark was a testimony to that. So how are you living right now and how are you loving? Because I want to finish the race well. I want God to say, well done, Jeremy, good and faithful servant. We don't know when the end is for us. But we have a choice to finish strong. Let me pray.